Hello, lady apes, gentle apes, robot apes, alien apes, hologram apes, projection apes, and any ape in between any of those. Welcome to CrayonCast. This is a podcast by apes for apes, where several volunteering apes translate the due diligence crayon notes of other apes into audio format for those of us who don't know how to read. Your hosts are myself, Pickle Rick, Wipe with Wipes, Scalpel User, Breck the Poet, and Mid-Century Birdhouse. Before we get started, I must state that this content is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other materials, legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained in our content constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by the hosts or any third-party service provider to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in this or in any other jurisdiction in which such solicitation or offer would be unlawful. Reading today's episode, The Everything Short by you slash out of it, is myself. You can find me on Twitter at PickleD, on Twitch as Pickle underscore Rick, or on Reddit as you all know me here. The Everything Short by you at a bit, posted 30 March. My fellow apes, after writing Citadel Has No Clothes, I couldn't shake one major issue. Why do they have a balance sheet full of financial derivatives instead of physical shares? Even Melvin keeps their derivative exposure to roughly 20%. The concept of a hedging instrument is to protect against price fluctuations. Hopefully you get it right and make a good prediction, but to have a portfolio with literally 80% derivatives, absolute insanity, it's the complete opposite of what should happen. So what is going on? Let's break this into four parts. One, repurchase and reverse repurchase agreements. Two, treasury bonds. Three, Palafox trading. And four, the short seller endgame. Okay, four easy steps, as simple as possible. Step one, repurchase and reverse repurchase agreements. What the fuck are they? A repurchase agreement is much like a loan. If you have a big juicy banana worth a million bucks and need some quick cash, a repo agreement might be right for you. Just take that banana to a pawn shop and pawn it for a few days, borrow some cash, and buy your banana back later, plus a few tendies in interest. This creates a liability for you because you have to buy it back, unless you want to default and lose your big beautiful banana. Regardless, you either buy it back or lose it. A reverse repo is how the pawn shop would account for this transaction. Why do they matter? Repos and reverse repos are the lifeblood of global financial liquidity. They allow for super-fast conversions from securities to cash. The repo agreement I just described is happening daily with hedge funds and commercial banks. Edit, inserting the quote from George Gammon, according to his calculations, the estimated total amount of repos are $4 trillion daily. The New York Fed alone submitted $40.354 billion for repo agreements on March 29th. This amount represents the one-day repo due on March 30th. So yeah, super short-term loans, usually a few days. It's probably not a surprise that back in 2008, the go-to choice of collateral for repo agreements was mortgage-backed securities. Lehman Brothers went bankrupt because they fraudulently classified repo agreements as sales. You could do your own research on this, but I'll give you the quick and dirty. Lehman would go to a bank and ask for cash. The bank would ask for collateral in return, and Lehman would offer mortgage-backed securities. It's great having so many mortgages on your balance sheet, but what the fuck good does it do if you have to wait 30 years for the cash? 
So Lehman gave their collateral to the bank and recorded these loans as sales instead of payables, with no intention of buying them back. This extremely overstated their revenue. When the market started realizing how shitty these AAA securities actually were, thanks to Michael Burry and friends, they were no longer accepted as collateral for repo loans. And we all know what happened next. The interest rate in 2008 on repos started climbing as the cost of borrowing money went through the roof. This happens because the collateral is no longer attractive compared to cash. My favorite bedtime story is how the Fed stepped in and bought all of the mean, toxic assets to save the U.S. economy. They literally paid Fannie and Freddie over $190 billion in bailouts. A few years later, MF Global would suffer the same fate when their European repo exposure triggered a massive margin call. Their foreign exposure to repo agreements was nearly 4.5 times their total equity. Both Lehman and MF Global found themselves in a major liquidity conundrum and were forced into bankruptcy. Not to mention the other losses that were incurred by other financial institutions. Check this list for bailout totals. There's a link in the original article. But did you know this happened again in 2019? Instead of the gradual increase in rates, the damn thing spiked to 10% overnight. This little blip almost ruined the whole show. It's a huge red flag because it shows how the system must remain in tight control. One slip and it's game over. The reason for the spike was once again due to a lack of liquidity. The Federal Reserve stated there were two main catalysts, both of which removed the necessary funds which would have fueled the repo market the following day. Basically, their checking account was empty and the utility bill bounced. It became apparent that another infusion of cash was necessary to prevent the whole damn system from collapsing. The reason being, institutions did not have enough excess liquidity on hand. Financial institutions needed a fast replacement for the MBS, and Jay Powell had just the right thing. Fed goes brr. Step 2. Treasury Bonds Ever heard of the bond market? Well, it's the red-headed stepbrother of the stonk market. The U.S. government sells you a treasury bond for $1,000 and promises to pay you interest depending on how long you hold it. It might be 1%, might be 3%, might be 3 months, it might be 10 years. Regardless, the point is that purchasing the U.S. treasury bond in conjunction with mortgage-backed securities allowed the Fed to keep pumping unlimited liquid tendies into the repo market. Surely, liquidity won't be an issue anymore, right? Now, take the repo scenario from the Lehman Brothers story. But instead of using only mortgage-backed securities, add in the U.S. Treasury bond, primarily the 10-year. Note that MBS are still prevalent at 19.1% of all repo transactions, but the U.S. Treasury bond now represents a whopping 67%. There is a chart in the original article if you'd like to see. For now, just know that the U.S. Treasury has replaced the MBS as the dominant source of liquidity in the repo market. Ever hear of Palafox trading? Me neither. It's pretty much meant to be that way. Palafox Trading is a market maker for repurchase agreements. Initially, they appear to be an innocent trading company, but their financial statements revealed a little secret. Here we have a Palafox Trading LLC notes to statement of financial condition. The highlighted portions are Citadel Advisors LLC is responsible for managing all investment and other activities for the company. And Citadel Enterprises America LLC, Seamer, and Citadel Americas LLC, H. Famer, both affiliates provide administrative and investment-related services to the company. Are you kidding me? I should have known. Of course Citadel has their own private repo market. 
who else is in the cesspool? Well, another highlighted portion of the article reads, Citadel Global Fixed Income Master Fund Limited, GFIL, is the sole member of the company. Atabid has a chart in the original article showing all the beneficiaries of GFIL. Everything rolls into the Citadel Global Fixed Income Master Fund. This controls $123.2 billion in assets under management. I know offshore accounts are technically legal for hedge funds, but when you look at the itemized holdings of these funds on Citadel's most recent ADV, it gives me chills. The current gross asset value of the private fund is that $123.2 billion. But what is the approximate percentage of the private fund beneficially owned by non-United States persons? The answer to that is 80%. Okay, okay, let me get this straight. The repo market provides immediate liquidity to hedge funds and other financial institutions. And after the MBS collapsed in 2008, the U.S. Treasury replaced it as the liquid asset of choice. Citadel owns 100% of Palafox Trading, which is a market maker for repo agreements. And this market maker provides liquidity to the Global Fixed Income Master Fund Limited, GFIL, through Citadel Advisors. But 80% of its $123.2 billion in assets under management belong to entities in the Cayman Islands. Okay, I tore the Bermuda, Paradise, and Panama Papers apart and found that all of these funds boil down to just a few managers, but can't pin anything on them for money laundering. However, if there were ever a case for it, I'd be extremely suspicious of this one. The level of shade in all this is incredible. There should be no room for an investment pool as big as Citadel to hide this shit. Absolutely ridiculous. The fact that there is so much foreign influence over our bond and repo market, which controls the liquidity of our country, is very concerning. Step 4. Short Seller Endgame Alright, I know this is a lot to take in. I've been writing this post for a week, so reading it all at one time is probably going to make your head explode. But now we can finally start putting all of this together. Okay, remember how I explained that the repo rate started to rise in 08 because the collateral was no longer attractive compared to cash? That means there wasn't enough liquidity in the system. Well, this time, the opposite effect is happening. Ever since March 2020, the short-term lending rate, or the repo rate, has nearly dropped to 0%. So the Fed is printing free money. The repo market is lending free money. And there's basically no difference between the collateral that's being lent and the cash that's being received. With all this free money going around, it's no wonder why the price of the 10-year treasury has been declining. In fact, hedge funds are so confident that the 10-year treasury will continue to decline that they've shorted the 10-year bond market. I'm not talking about speculative shorting. I mean shorting it to oblivion like they've shorted stocks. Don't believe me? Hedge funds like Citadel Advisors must first locate the treasury bond in order to swap them for cash in the repo market. It's extremely difficult to do this with the Fed because they're tied up in government bullshit, so they locate a lender in the market. These consist of other commercial banks and hedge funds. Note, I made a comment about BlackRock supplying treasury bonds, and this is not true. Upon further review, credit you, don't fight the vol, these bonds consist of MBS and corporate bonds. While the U.S. Treasury Department is involved, they are not supplying treasury bonds. So financial institutions keep treasuries on reserve for hedges like Citadel to short. Citadel comes along and asks for the bond. They throw it into Palafox trading and collect their cash. So what happens when they need to pay for their repo agreement? Surely to God there are enough bonds floating around, right? Not unless hedge funds like Citadel have shorted more bonds than there are available. Here's the evidence. 
There have been three instances over the past year where the repo rate dipped below the failure rate of negative 3%. On March 4th, 2021, the repo rate hit negative 4.25%, which means that investors were willing to pay someone 4.25% interest to lend their own money in exchange for a 10-year treasury bond. This is a major signal of a squeeze in the treasury market. It's major desperation to find bonds. With the Federal Reserve purchasing them monthly from the open market, it leaves room for a shortage when the repo call hits. If commercial banks and hedge funds haven't purchased more treasuries since first lending them out, short sellers simply cannot cover unless they go into the market and pay the bondholder for their bond. It's literally the same story as all of the heavily shorted stocks. Still not convinced? At the end of 2020, Palafox Trading listed 31.2 billion in gross repo agreements. 30.5 billion were directly related to repurchasing treasury bonds. But what about their reverse repurchase agreements? Don't they have assets to buy treasury bonds? Sure. Take a look. They have 31 million. See there? I told you they had it covered. Yeah, now read the fine print. Typically, the company has rights of rehypothecation with respect to the securities collateral received under reverse repurchase agreements. As of December 31, 2020, substantially all securities collateral received under reverse repurchase agreements has been delivered or repledged in connection with repurchase agreements. I know the totals are slightly different than the balance above, but they're both from 2020. It's just how they are presented. Check for yourself. There is a link in the original article. So no. They don't have it covered. Why? Because our piece of shit financial system allows for rehypothecation. That's why. It's a big fancy word for using amounts owed to you as collateral for another transaction. In the event that the party defaults, so do you. This means that the securities which Palafox is waiting to receive have already been pledged to pay off the bonds they currently owe to someone else. Does this sound familiar? Promising to repay something with something you don't already have? Basically, you need to wait on Ted to repay Steve, to repay Jen, to repay Mark, to repay you, so you can repay Fred, so Fred can, yeah, real secure. Oh, and by the way, the problem is getting worse. Here's Palafox's financial statements in 2018. Securities purchased under agreements to resell, 5.1 million. Securities sold under agreements to repurchase, 5.14 million. And 2019? Securities purchased under agreements to resell, 7.73 million. And securities sold under agreements to repurchase are 7.78 million. The amount in 2020 is still 100% greater than 2019, after netting, which is even more bullshit. From 2020, securities purchased under agreements to resell is 16.09 million, and securities sold under agreements to repurchase is 15.96 million. All of this made me wonder what the FICC's balance is for Treasury deposits. For those of you that don't know, the FICC is a branch of the DTCC that deals with government securities. Just like the updated DTC rule for supplemental liquidity deposits being calculated throughout the day, the FICC also calculates this amount as it relates to Treasury securities multiple times throughout the day. Would you be surprised that the FICC has $47 billion just in deposits for unsettled Treasury bonds? That's 47 billion. Can you imagine how astronomical the actual margin must be? There is too much evidence from too many separate events, pointing to the imminent default of something big. That's all this is going to take. When Ted can't repay Steve, 
it means the panic has already started. Just look at how easy it was for the repo rate to spike overnight in 2019. We are already starting to see the consequences of the SLR update with Archegos, Nomura, and Credit Suisse. This is just a taste of what's to come. And now we know the bond market represents an even bigger catalyst in triggering this event. And it's happening already. With that being said, things finally started to make sense. Citadel doesn't need shares if their investment strategy to go short on everything instead of going long. Why bother owning shares? Financial institutions and other asset managers simply lend them to you when you need to pony up a margin call for stocks and bonds. Their high-frequency trading systems allow them to manipulate the market in their favor, so there's no way they could fail, unless a bunch of degenerates all decided to ignore taking profits. But that would never happen, right? Wrong. We just like the stonks. Diamond fucking hands. Well, Crayon Nation, that's been today's episode. We encourage you to go and read the comments on the original thread on Reddit written by u slash atobit. That's A-T-O-B-I-T-T. -T. You can find a link to the original thread in the description of this episode. As always, be good to yourself, be good to others, and be good to the world around you. Your hosts have been me, Pickle Rick, Wipe with Wipes, Scalpel User, Brett the Poet, who also did our theme music, and Secretly Reformed. We'll see you next time.